I'm going to make some administrators not happy, but if you want to come, there's probably room for you, uh, and you can always bring your tent, too. I, I guess some people are going to be bold and courageous in that way and pitch their tent, apparently, right? Which is pretty cool. I think I got the numbers right, 185, right? Is that, is that right? Or is it? Yeah, awesome. That's amazing. That's incredible. Uh, I think that is the most we've ever had, and I'll give you that's only 100 miles away, but still, that's pretty good. It's the most we've had, I think, in the church so far in the eight years that we've been on the ground. So way to go, church, in responding to the mission of God. That is incredible. Uh, I, love our, I love our family. I, I just, and it's just so exciting to be a part of a people that respond to the mission of God. That is so important. That, you know, as I was thinking back on church history this week, I was reminded of George Mueller. You guys know who George Mueller is? He was a man who started an orphanage uh, in the UK, and he just trusted God every week for groceries to come in. He didn't have any money. Just People would just drop groceries off uh, at the doorstep. He would just pray the night before. He was a man of prayer and just really believed that God would come through. And I was also reminded of, I think I mentioned it last week, of during the Spanish flu in 1918, of just the Christians were the ones burying the bodies and not being afraid to die because they believed wholeheartedly in Hebrews 2 that Jesus did indeed defeat the last remaining enemy, which is death. And I'm also reminded of just countless Uh, Other stories throughout church history where people were dying because of diseases all around them. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of people throughout church history, but yet the church remained strong. Uh, And that's, that's our calling, to remain strong in the midst of chaos, in the midst of unknown. Um, And that's who we are as a people. And I, I just couldn't be more proud of this church. Um, I know it seems like I rebuke everybody every week, uh, <laughs> and I will this week again, but, um, but I'm just so thankful for, um, the people in this room that we could did, to do life together, uh, really as a father to children. Uh, and I love what John says to, uh, you know, he, he's 90 years old. And so everyone to him is little guys, little children. He says, my little ones, <laughs> Love your neighbor, <laughs> you know, um, and it just is a father. And he says something interesting in Third John, uh, verse four, and he says this: that I have no greater joy than but my children growing up in the Lord, and I really have no other joy. And really, if you're ministering in this church, you should have no other joy than to see your life group grow in the Lord, to see this church grow in the Lord, to see your family grow in the Lord. There really is no greater joy. Like Paul said in Galatians 4.19, I just, I give my life so that they will be transformed in Christ. Uh, Colossians 1.28, I, I work hard and tirelessly so that they may know him. I can go on and on. I just, it's, it's so amazing. That is the focal point. That's why we do church so that you would grow. Uh, you don't come here so that you would uh, be patted on the back. You know, it's, it's, it's good to receive rebukes. It's good to receive encouragement. It is both in the church. Um, and frankly, we're gonna do that every week. Uh, and we're gonna be a people of truth because that is the calling of the church 
to be a pillar of truth, not to please the culture. That's not our calling. Certainly that, that's not why we lay down our lives to please them. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, but we are called to speak truth. And when we do, Jesus says it very clearly that the truth will set us free. So who wants to be free? I mean, I don't think anyone comes to church and says, I want to be in bondage again today. Um, but I think that that's ultimately what the world wants is they've chosen bondage. Um, and I, I, I don't want that. I want to hear truth. And so that's our calling and your calling. In fact, there's not just one minister here. There's not uh, 10 or 11 elders or ministers. And there's not uh, maybe uh, 20 life group leaders but there are 200 leaders. There are 200 ministers, right? All of us. Every person in this room is a minister of God. Do you believe that? Do you? It's true. It is not a, a spectator sport. Uh, it's everyone involved. It's everybody in. I would wear the shirt, but it's so raggedy. Uh, it'd be embarrassed to wear it. Uh, it looks like a midriff. I, you'd see my belly button. Uh, it's been, which is really an interesting picture uh, for Sunday morning. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, everybody in, I have that, it's the Cubs, Chicago Cubs slogan for, I think, 2018, I think it is. Everybody in. And we are all called to be in. People ask all the time, what is church membership? Well, church membership is this, that if every day you wake up and spend time with Jesus, because ultimately, we need to fear the Lord. We, we need, that, is, that is our calling, is to fear God, to live for him. It's not a savior, he's the savior, only savior. He's not a Lord, he's the Lord of lords, king of kings. And therefore, every morning we wake up and we're with him. And we're giving our allegiance to one Lord. He's the only way. Um, and we're not ashamed of that as a church. Secondly, we pour into other people. We are a people who disciple one another. We're, we care about the ones and twos uh, so much that we, we, are, we meet with them and sacrifice throughout the, meet, uh, the, uh, throughout the week so that we can meet with others and point people to Jesus, not to us, but to him. And we'll get into a little bit of that today. And third is that we are a people that meet in individual families, the local families, and, and we meet in houses, house to house. Now, the book of Acts, by the way, I think you should know this, is, is more descriptive than prescriptive. What I mean by that is that as you look at the book of Acts, it's not saying that you must do this, this, and this, although it teaches theology, but you're, it, it's so much that it's a model saying that this is what they did, and this is what you can do in order to have a successful church life. But Life groups are one of the, I mean, it's the bread and butter of who we are, right? We want to make sure that we're with each other week to week because Sunday morning just, it blows so, it goes so fast. It's only a few hours and we're in and out and there's 168 hours in the week and we can't afford to lose any hour. We got to make the most of every opportunity. And then fourthly, Sunday service, you're looking at it, that God has called us to meet. So here's an example in the book of Acts. The book of Acts says descriptively in Acts 2 that we're supposed to meet house to house, 
meeting with Jesus and his people under the apostles' teaching, meeting in the synagogues, would be a, make an argument that this is the synagogue, in a, in a sense, in church, service on Sunday, the Lord's Day, taking communion together, although we don't do that enough, we should do that more. And you can do that in, uh, uh, with your families and in, in your house or in life group too as well. But, you know, I, I would say that the reason why we're, we're mandated to meet, we don't take that necessarily from the book of Acts, but we look at the book of Hebrews and 10, uh, Hebrews 10, 25, and God's called the church to meet, even in the midst of chaos. In other words, the state doesn't have any uh, jurisdiction or authority over the church uh, because we are the church. God is our leader in that. And the church has to believe that at its core. That's not just something I'm making up. And we can't just take that descriptively from the book of Acts, although they did that even in the midst of persecution, they were called not to meet. And they said, no, we're still going to meet in Acts 4 and 5 because we're going to obey God, not man. And then also where that balances out in uh, Romans 13 as well. It says we are to be under authority in the government unless the government uh, infringes upon the church's rights to meet. Is that clear? And then fifth is what we're doing in Tampa. We're going on mission. But not only that, but I know that there's evangelism going on throughout the week. And individually, people are sharing the gospel constantly. In fact, one of the companies that many of our people work at said, if you don't stop sharing the gospel, you're fired. Uh, And that person just said, I'm sharing. I can get another $8 an hour job somewhere else. (laughs) Amazing. I love this church. It's just really an amazing church to be a part of in these crazy days that people are really living it out. And on campus, uh, as a ministry, people are together sharing the gospel constantly throughout the week on campus and in their workplace and on the streets. It's incredible. This is happening like weekly. I'm getting updates on this amazing church. It's, in, it's incredible. In fact, I think one person got saved from last week. Someone got saved, realized, hey, I, you know, I don't know if I'm really saved. I've, I know the name of Jesus, but I, I don't know if I'm really truly saved. I don't have that fruit, and I want to know what does it mean to be saved. So God's moving Uh, It's incredible, and despite all the things that are happening, and we need to continue to pray for, it says in 1 Timothy 2 that we're continually to pray for our leaders uh, and those in government. Pray for Governor DeSantis. I think it's really important to pray for him, pray for the president, pray for the governor, and then also pray for our mayor, Megan Sladek, and that we would, it would go well for us as a people As we pray, as the Bible says, Paul told Timothy, it would go well for all of us if we pray for our leaders that they would be saved and that they would lead with righteousness. All right, Acts 9. So what we're going to do this morning in Acts 9 is we're going to just look at six ways that the Lord will use us. Everybody here wants to be used by the Lord. And I think this is going to be just a, a simple, practical, hopefully just brief sermon just on the simplicity of saying, hey, look, these are six ways that 
uh, that the Lord used Peter and we can be used in the same fashion as we look at the life of Peter. Uh, it's a short passage, Acts 9, 32 to 43, and then it leads us into what we'll talk about Sunday uh, in Tampa and Acts 10. We'll go through the whole chapter of Acts 10 in Tampa. You know, it's been in the history of the church as soon as Jesus came, and then also as you see in the book of Acts, there's been two ways to meet people where they're at, to minister to people. One was the masses and one was to the individuals. And I I think it's probably good to just title this message this morning, Minister to the Ones and Twos. And I think that that ultimately is what pushes the church forward. As you see that so often, but as you look at the, first we'll look at the masses. Peter spoke to the masses at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, he's filled with the spirit. Many got saved. Then you look at Acts chapter three. He just uh, shared the gospel after that man who is uh, lame at the gate in the temple. He got healed. It was a, it was a it caused a huge ruckus there. And all these people came and Peter just boldly preached the gospel. And then of course, in Acts four and five, he preached to the authorities. And then Stephen preached to the masses in Acts seven. And Heath did a great job dissecting that passage. And then Jesus also spoke to the crowds, right? The Sermon on the Mount. He, he spoke in John 6 when he fed the 5,000. There is a place for Sunday morning preaching. And, you know, as we look at that, there is, a, there is a, an importance to that, that when preaching, something happens uniquely when preaching happens versus when you, which we'll look at in a second, when, when Jesus was you know, preaching, or not preaching, but discussing with the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery. And then also he says here in Matthew 9, 19 to 26, so beautifully you see Jesus meeting people where they're at and meeting the needs individually. And that's why all of us need to know that we're all called to be ministers in this church. I want it to be said of us that there are 200 plus ministers in this church. That is so important. We, would ne- we will never meet the goal that God wants us to meet unless we all look, first look at ourselves that way and then also do it then. That we live out that calling as the priesthood. So many come to church just to be spectators. You know, we're gonna move into a season now where we're gonna have to set up and tear down again. And we're gonna have to do that again. But that will bring more community. Many people are like, oh, that's going to infringe upon my right to go to breakfast or lunch. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. You could look at it that way, I suppose. Or you could look at it in a way, oh, I'll get to know somebody as I'm serving the church. I'm honoring God and serving his people. And that's what God's called us to. It's actually a privilege to do that. To say, wow, I get to be a part of this living organism, the church. I get to rule and reign with God in the millennial kingdom. I get to be with him for all of eternity. Okay, I'll pick up a chair. (laughs) All right. So ministering to the individual matters. And in Matthew 9, 19 to 26, he says, While he was saying these things to them, behold, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him, And said, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will become alive again. 
Jesus got up from the table and began to accompany him along with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the border of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if only I could touch his cloak, I would get well. But Jesus turning and seeing her said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the daughter was made well. She was saved. If you see in your translation, NESB, translate, healed or welled, saved. They were, they were the same. And in other words, when she got healed physically because of her faith in being, God rewarded that faith by healing her physically, but also she was saved spiritually as well. Very different from healing crusades today. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in a noisy disorder, he said, leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they had been laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up, and this news spread throughout the land. Jesus cared for the individual. He was somebody, he was a moving target for God the Father. He was available at, 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 the, at his cost right? He was on the move to go, you know, meet a need, one need, but then he was interrupted by another need and he met both needs. He was fully available. He was uh, a moving target. He was present. That's what I love about Jesus. You know, one of my favorite stories is him ministering at the woman at the well. Can you imagine if Peter was there? It would have been disastrous. But Jesus was there and he ministered to her in both truth and love. Sure, he had to expose the fact that she had five husbands. In fact, she was with one that was not her husband. She had many different men in her life and completely obliterated the commandment, do not commit adultery. But Jesus covered her because she recognized her sin. He met her where she was at and it perturbed the disciples so much. In fact, they came back and said, what are you doing? And he said, I have to, this is my food. You're talking about some other food. This is my food. My food is to do the will of my father. That is my hunger. My hunger and my nourishment, my life is about my father's business? Is it yours? Could you say that that is your food? Could you say that? If it is, you'll be a part of saving many. You'll be a part of saving countless people. Nicodemus is another example. At night, meeting with this man who's curious Who's hunger? Do you have anybody at work like that? Anybody just asking questions? Are you so busy just to clock in, clock out, get home that you forget that there are people, human beings with questions all around you? Perhaps you can't take your workplace's time, but you surely can meet after work and take your own time. You surely could take time away from maybe things that you plan to do but the Lord plans otherwise. 
He wants to use you. And then the woman caught in adultery. Could you imagine if Peter was there? Can you imagine if Judas was there? She might not have only been raped, but robbed. (laughs) But when Jesus was there, he gave her dignity, met her exactly where she was at, said, hey, look, there's no doubt you're in sin. You definitely committed adultery. And I could let you go because I'm not going to be let go. I could, be, I could let you go scot-free because God's not going to let me go scot-free. I'm going to be killed for you. And he said, I'm going to let you go because I'm going to substitute you on the cross. What an amazing Lord we have in grace. Acts 6, Stephen, you saw this earlier. Acts 6, Stephen ministers to the widows, to the ones and twos. He he gives this glorious message and then dies for it. But he's willing to not only be in ministry in front of thousands, but he was able to meet people, the ones and twos where they were at. That's what God's called all of us to do. Maybe you will have a life group to lead. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have thousands to speak in front of. Maybe you won't. But I can guarantee you this, that God has the ones and twos for you. And that's how the kingdom gets moved forward. Romans 16, I love this. Just, I mean, something is just a boring chapter. Why did Paul even write this? But Phoebe, Priscilla, Achilla, he greet, greet, greet this person, greet this person, greet this person, greet, 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 greet. Half the names you can't pronounce, but greet, greet, greet. It's such an awesome passage. What is, he, what is God trying to portray here? Paul was about the masses and the churches and geography and missions, but he's about the ones and twos. He knew their name. Do you know the names of the people you work with? Do you know their neighbors' names? Are they hey you, or are they Jeff, or David, or Brian, or Craig? Tim, these are my neighbors. We need to know our neighbors by name. We can't just be busy with our agenda, but we need to know our neighbors. We need to be praying for them when we go for walks and on runs. 2 Timothy 2.2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. It's about the individuals. It's about discipleship. It's about actually investing. Can you imagine if this whole church, literally, if we just went from this end of the room to that end of the room, to this end of the room, to that end of the room, and we just went one by one, just said, who are you investing in? Who's investing in you? Who are you investing in? Who's investing in you? Who are you investing in? Who invest? Just go and, can you imagine this, this person? This, I mean, everybody's covered, overlaps happening, people who are not in the room. What an amazing dynamic church that God will absolutely grow. Will we do it is the question. All right, now for the six elements. And I just, I'm just going to go down. That They're not long. They're very brief. In fact, this might be on record, perhaps the shortest message. I, just, I, I, I want this to be simple, okay? Because I want us to live this out. 
Uh, the, the other day, you know, we're, we're having marriage classes and we were talking about just, we've got to live this out. We cannot just be concerned about the things that are said in the Bible, although they're great truths of the Bible, but unless they're lived out, we have nothing. Unless we even, we could have the tongues of angels, but and, and, and just we have no love, we're nothing. We have to have love. We have to serve one another, invite each other in each other's houses. One of the most loving things you can do is be hospitable. Inviting people over to your house. Yes, in the mess, when things are all over the place. It's okay. Because most likely everybody's house is like that. So it's just you'll actually encourage them, not discourage them. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? So number one, well, let's just read the passage first. So uh, in verse 32, I'll just read this first verse here. Verse 32, now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now this is the region, this whole region is where Tel Aviv is. Joppa, the old city, Joppa, is where Tel Aviv is, the international airport, the most uh, populated city in Israel on the coast. I always wanted to go there. Uh, I'll take a collection after church for that trip. Um, But I've always wanted to go uh, just to walk uh, where Jesus walked. And uh, again, it's, it's not... It's not the equivalent of Mecca with the Muslims, but it's, and there's nothing supernatural there, but it's just to be cool to see the places that Jesus walked and the apostles and uh, it'd just be a a great trip to go to. But that, I I like to bring these things in because it's, you know, the Bible is, is real. It's, there's real places and people and geography and this is not some made up make-believe book, uh, and so many even fathers of the faith, even, I suppose you couldn't call them fathers, but just would say, this is just some allegory. You know, we got to allegorize everything. No, it's a literal, you have to look at the literal grammatical historical context because these are actual people and places and now they're finding them. Archaeology is incredible. They're finding these places and really just putting to shame some of these people with 18 degrees. So number one is be a moving target. Be a moving target. Peter, this is during the Acts 8. There was a scattering that was happening. There was much persecution that was happening during that time. And Peter just said, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. I'm also take advantage of the persecution. Are you? Just taking advantage of the way things are going, not complaining not having some sort of political dissertation, but rather a biblical conversation and saying, how can we live this out? That's what the church needs to be concerned about. While the rest of the politicians are absolutely making a mess of everything, perhaps believers will put it all together. There is a tearing down and God does that. Not CRT or critical race or deconstructionists. They could do whatever they want, but that God will use that, but we are not to tear down his principles. People are doing that left and right, but rather we're supposed to tear down theirs and build it upright. We're to make the most of every opportunity. 
Acts 8 just is a, a, a context in which people were scattered everywhere. They lost that precious life group, those the, the, the synagogue, the, the, the coming together, the just the being together all the time. They lost that. They were scattered. They could all went home and depressed and uh, got on anti-depression pills. And, and they could have just, you know, been on their feed, uh, Facebook feed or watched movie after movie after movie. And instead, hey, there is, there is a command that Jesus gave us to go make disciples. He actually said to not just care about Jerusalem. Oh, wait, this is Jerusalem. We're getting kicked out of Jerusalem. Let's go to Judea. We're getting kicked out of Judea. Let's go to Samaria. Get kicked out of that place. Well, let's go to the nations. Because Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Jesus' words give us great comfort in the storms. It's his words. It's not an Antioch Orlando thing. The reason why 185 people showed up to Tampa, will show up to Tampa. <laughs> I'm already on to the next mission trip. But will, they've showed up to, because Jesus said it. Guys, I'll tell you, it's, it's going to be much more fruitful time together if we know Jesus set this up for us rather than Antioch Orlando and its elders. I'll tell you, that, what's get, yeah, that gets me up in the morning. Not because of any other thing, but Jesus just said, this is what I called you to do. I called you to do this. Peter was a moving target. He was not stagnant. He wasn't just waiting for something to happen. He was like, okay, I'll make the best of it. If this is where I'm being scattered, then I'll, I'll, there are people, right? I mean, there's, they're, they're human beings. They have a pulse. They need Jesus. In other words, maybe he had this plan. Maybe perhaps he was like, I'm speaking to all these people to the masses. This is wonderful. I get to study and I get to speak to the masses. And guys, I'm going to just shut that down. I'm going to scatter you. Peter could have said, well, I got to get masses. Where are the masses? No, 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 no. He just, he did whatever God called him to do. He made the most of every opportunity. You lose your job, maybe he has a better one. I love what J.C. Ryle says. I'll tell you, we have to guard ourselves from the idleness of life. We have to make sure we make the most of every opportunity. Idleness, he says, is the devil's best friend. Write that down. It is the surest way to give him an opportunity of doing some harm. An idle mind is like an open door. And if Satan does not come through the door himself, it is certain that he will throw something in to arouse bad thoughts in us. We need to make the most of every opportunity. We cannot remain idle, especially in these days. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. There were three things that continually got him going. It got him through the day. It prepared him for what was to come. These are the three things. He understood this. He would tell himself every day, Every single day of his life, he would say, God, would you stamp eternity on my eyeballs? May I see everything through these lens, these three things, the shortness of life, the certainty of death, and the length of eternity. Let me repeat that. The shortness of life, the certainty of death, or the suddenness of death. 
So you never know when that day's coming and the length of eternity. I'll tell you, you say that to yourself every day. <laughs> I mean, I'm scared what God's going to do with you. He, he just, he believed it. He believed it. He lived with eternity in mind every single day. He knew that he could gain the whole world but lose his soul. You know, God's looking for people who will actually believe his word and live it. He's looking for them. He's looking. It says in Chronicles, he's literally looking to and fro. He's like a, he's like a, a UFO looking all over the place, trying to find a place to land. He's like, my goodness, can I find a church that actually believes this stuff? And then he'll strengthen them. But woe to the church that doesn't want to live that out. He'll weaken them. He'll snuff their light out, it says in Revelation. I don't want that to be said of us. I don't think you either. I don't think you want to go to a church that is headed towards Jesus snuffing them out. Number two, be present for God's work. Verse 33, there he found a man. He found a man. Find someone. They're all around you. Find someone to share the gospel. Find someone to invest in. Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. And you know, I, I love this. It says here he was a certain man, which in that the usage of that Greek, the usage of that word, it actually means something. Most scholars say he probably was not a believer. Contrast that with Dorcas, which we'll read later. Can you imagine if that was your name? It's a girl, by the way. It means gazelle. But can you imagine? Uh, yeah, I, I just Dorcas. What do you just call her for short? Dork? I mean, uh, hey, Dork, come here. <laughs> um, that was the Greek version. Tabitha. Uh, but he probably was not a believer. And that's very significant in that what Peter did was heal that person. It was said that um, if you look through the New Testament, there, uh, most, uh, well, I'll just say this, other than Lazarus, Dorcas, and Eutychus, that was raised from the dead, if you remember that. Uh, he was watching, listening to Paul, and then he fell off, remember about midnight, two in the morning, and then, Paul had to inconveniently to go downstairs, raise the guy from the dead, bring him back up, and then move on. Um, <laughs> really, we'll, we'll get to that chapter later. But the, um, it's important to note that, that there were no believers that were healed during that time, at least the New Testament notes. In other words, healing primarily in the New Testament was clearly to authenticate the message of the apostles. Not to say that God can't heal today. He can, and he does. And we have seen bits and pieces of that, not on a regular basis. And with the same kind of faith, we believe. But it was to authenticate the apostles' message. It was to show that God is power, is to authenticate the gospel, the message, to, to, and then also to attract people to faith. Ultimate saving faith was the goal. 
And in this case, it happened. He came to faith. Peter in verse 34, it says, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Get up and make your bed of all things, right? Immediately he got up and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, is this another city, saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now, the third principle here is that we are a people, if we want to be used by God, we need to point people to Jesus, not ourselves. Peter did not point, he had the powers, so to speak. You know, if we looked at Simon wanted those powers, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, Acts 8. You know, I would be very careful, guys, to make sure that you look at your motives of why you want to be in ministry. And everybody's called to ministry. But maybe, you know, hey, if I, if I practice this enough, if I get the right kind of powers, you know, there's whole uh, healing conferences, not to, for you to bring someone who needs healing, but more how to heal. That is the most absurd thing I've ever heard of. Because you don't need to go to conferences to learn the technique and how to heal someone as if the technique heals people. That's borderline Gnosticism. Go to the guru who has the special powers that you don't have. Pay him millions so that he can, or pay him your dollars so he can make millions and have this big ministry and everybody goes to that guy. Peter, in fact, we'll see in a moment, he didn't want, he, he didn't want any, any attention. He just simply says, you know what? I, I just, I saw this. I saw this in Jesus. I'm just, I just looked at Jesus for three years and I learned how to do this. And what he did is he just simply was dependent on the Father. And it's not our job as disciples to point people to ourselves, but to point people to Jesus. Acts 10, 25 and 26 says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. Which we'll look at next week. But Peter helped him up saying, stand up for I'm too just a man. How many of us would honestly like that if someone got to our feet and said, oh, wow, just so impressed by you. I mean, just to be honest, you might say, "Hmm, I think he's onto something. (laughs) And Peter just said, look, I I just, I don't have to tell you. I I was just minding my own business and up on the roof and I just saw this crazy vision and I just was called to go to this place and I simply shared the gospel and people got saved. I mean, mean, it just, clearly it wasn't me. Do we do that? When there's success in your discipleship, do you think it's you? Then Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He had such humility. It wasn't Peter's power. When we are ministering, guys, we need to rely on him. When you leave your dorm room or your car or your house, when you cross over the threshold into the meeting, do you say, God, if you don't show up, this person will not be transformed. I need you. I need wisdom. I need discernment. John 15, four and five says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Jesus is speaking. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, keyword, and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, underline that, apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, here, here's the thing. You can do something. You can run your mouth. You can point to yourself, but there will be no long lasting transformation in the person. First Peter 4, 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of what? God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, underline, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him, not to me who is able to do all these things, but to him, contrary to all the crazy books that you read these days. Oh, you, better you, 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 you will do so much. No, to him who is able. You can get stuck there. I knew a guy who says, I just got stuck at to him. I just couldn't move. To him. Not to me, not to man. No, no, to him to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. I think we got that verse, re- re- that verse reversed. To us, who's able to do abundant of and beyond what God is asking. According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ all, to all generations forever and ever. You know, the next time you're in your discipleship, just even say to each other, to him. I'm struggling with this, but to him. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this one, but to him. To him. Instead of your five techniques to get out. (laughs) I would just rather someone say to him, John, to him who is able to, you thought you just want to go here? Okay, well, to him, you'll go here. Afar above and beyond. Exceedingly. Abundantly. I just wanted to stay. I just wanted to kind of just be, I don't want to think those thoughts anymore. You know, I just, I'm done. No, to him. Actually, you won't think those thoughts anymore. You'll be able to help others. <laughs> above and beyond. Romans fifteen seventeen to 18. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, not to myself. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished, underline. He has accomplished all these things through me, resulting in obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. I also want you to note something, that you know that these healings were not progressive healings. They were instantaneous Contrary to the faith healers, they are not telling you the entire truth. In the book of Acts, there just was no doubt about that. I mean, it just wasn't like Paul would try to, you know, he wasn't in his, Paul wasn't in his letters saying, oh, could you just ask so-and-so if they got healed? Just see if, you know, they came home and to touch their ear and then to touch it again and, you know, just speak to themselves. No, it just was, they were healed. 
It was a done deal. And you know why that's important today? Is because we have a word that absolutely, we can read these stories here and it puts faith in us, in the word of God that we can trust it today in the 21st century. Whether we'll get healed on this side of the planet or the other side, God has promised actually that we will be healed. In some sense, the faith healers, they got something right. You will be healed. Oh, that's for sure. We just don't know yet if it's on this life or the next. So stop trying to deceive people and tell them that in five days they might get healed. Now that could be true and God could work through different methods. But just as a note there, I think it's important that it was not progressive, but instantaneous. You know, also just a one little sub note to this is that what does it mean to turn to the Lord? It was all over the New Testament. It means to literally turn around. When they turned to the Lord, they turned around. They turned their back on sin. They were slaves to righteousness, no longer slaves to sin. There wasn't this like, he's my savior. Thank you, Jesus, for my washing away of my sin. But he was also Lord of my life. I actually have to obey him now for the rest of my life. Actually, rather than just a have to, but although for immature, maybe it's a have to, but for the mature, it's a get to. And this is what it says in Acts 3.19, therefore repent and turn, return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times are refreshing. How many want refreshing this morning? You don't get that by hearing lovely words, by the way, and how awesome you are. You get that by knowing that he washed all your sins away. Key word is your sins away. <laughs> Not that guy's. so that you may become in the presence of the Lord and be refreshed. Acts eleven twenty nine. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Acts 26, 18 and 20. To, the, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Key words here. Look at your own life. Turned from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God and they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me, but continually proclaim to those in Damascus first and in Jerusalem and then all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they are to repent and turn to God, performing deeds consistent with repentance. Look at this one, 2 Corinthians 3.16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil has been taken away. My question to you this morning, has the veil been taken away from you? Are you still under some cloud, some delusion? First Corinthians, for, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 1.9, for they themselves report about us. This is a compliment to the Thessalonians as the, to the kind of reception we had with you and how you turned from, to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That is truly the way Paul had meant it in Romans 1. They had the truth. And they suppressed it. And the Thessalonians took the truth and they lived it. Number four, they were available to others. Verse 36 and 39. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is Dorcas, which I said means gazelle. She's probably a gazelle-like woman. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. So this, this woman was abounding with, with deeds of kindness and charity. This is key, which she continually did. She was such an asset to the church. My question to you is, are you an asset here? If we lost you, would we feel it? 
It's a good question. If you're just taking up a seat, I doubt it. But if you are here because you're actually here not just to hear words or evaluate every message to see if I like it, but rather you're a part of the living church. Man, I'll tell you, Dorcas was greatly missed. She wasn't just another one that died, but she was greatly missed, and I'll tell you why here in a second. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. They knew they wouldn't just bury her yet. There was a sense of faith in these people. They're like, oh, but God. Since Lida, Lida, I'm sorry, Lida was near Joppa, it was just a few miles apart, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, he just a moments ago, and he's on the move, this guy, sent two men to help, imploring him. Now, Peter was probably having a wonderful ministry at this point. He's just said, please do not delay in coming to us. We know what Jesus did one time. He delayed, you know, and Lazarus died, and so don't do that. <laughs> uh, Come quickly. You know, Peter was probably very successful at that moment. You might find yourself successful in a particular ministry, but if the Holy Spirit were to move you, and perhaps it's even around in the church, or to move you overseas, be available. Be available to the Lord. Are you available to him? I love that Peter's just said, hey, my life is not my own. I'm his. He believed in Galatians 2.20. He didn't write it, but he believed it. Paul wrote it. That my life is not my own. I've died. Christ lives in, in through me. If he wants me to stay in light, I'll stay in light. If he wants me to go to Joppa, I'll go to Joppa. Wherever he wants me to go, I'll go. Do you have that as your life? He had laser-like focus. Ephesians 2.10 I'm just going to focus a little bit on Dorcas here because I think it's worth knowing that this was a woman who I had incredible significance to the church. It said that in verse 39, so Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood by. So imagine this scene, all the widows are there. That was her ministry, by the way. How many people are going to be at your funeral? Who's going to be right there next to you? All the people that you've impacted. All the widows were there stood by beside him. It says they were weeping and showing them all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. She's like, oh, look at what Dorcas made me. This little mitten and hat and clothes. And look at all these wonderful, amazing things. I mean, just, I just don't want her to, I mean, who's going to fill her role? She made such a great impact on the church. She wasn't just a complainer. She wasn't complaining. She wasn't taking away from the mission of God. We've seen so much of that in the church. I'm tired of it. I want to see more people like Dorcas. I want to see someone who's just devastated if someone leaves because they actually did something. I'm tired of seeing people just complain over and over and over again. We don't need those people, honestly. And it just takes away from the church. Does that make sense? I'm tired of that. 
This isn't just a soapbox. This is biblical. Be like a Dorcas. Be like a Peter. They're just willing to be used all the time. They're not complaining about anything. They're taking the lowest job of the low. They're, they're, they're taking care of widows. Jesus, God has been talking about that way in the Old Testament Deuteronomy. Take care of the widows. She's like, sign me up. I'm good. I'll serve. I'll do something that, that, that makes God happy and serves his church and moves him forward. I won't just complain all day long about my needs and my wants and blah, blah, blah. You know, I hear a complaint every single week about something. Just stop it. Go somewhere else with your complaints. Stop grumbling and complaining. Be missed, and be missed in a good way, actually. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, this is what you're made for. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not for complaining, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Colossians 1.10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, complaining actually cost everyone the promised land. He didn't give it to them. They all died miserably. To, pay, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Proverbs 31 uh, I, don't, I don't. Today's Valentine's Day. I don't know if you know that, but uh, I woke up to a Valentine. Uh, I mean, literally a Valentine, and then also a piece of paper from my wife and a chocolate cookie, which is amazing. But you know, look up the story. It's not what you think. Uh, it was in the third century that this man died for his faith. Actually, died for uh, standing up for the marriage between one man and one woman. Take that, Hallmark. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. If you look back at the story, it's, it's, I mean, we read it every year with our kids. Proverbs 31, 20 says, she extends her hand to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy. Girls, are you like this? Do you want to get to your old age and say, you know what? I've spent my life on him. Luther says, if our goods are not available to the community, there are stolen goods. Let's not waste our time with the pathetic complaining that we see today. Richard Baxter, Baxter in 1615 to 1691 says this, he's a Puritan pastor. We must feel toward our people as a father towards his children. The most tender love of a mother must not surpass ours. We must even travail in birth till Christ be formed in them. Remember the point what I was saying earlier. They should see that we care for no outward thing, neither liberty nor honor nor life in comparison key to their salvation. It's both physical and spiritual needs we meet. But when the people see that, you're a tr- that you truly love them, they will hear anything from you. Oh, therefore, see that you feel a tender love for your people in your hearts and let them perceive in it, it in your speech and conduct. Let them see, key word or key phrase, let them see that you spend and are spent for their sakes. Is that your life? 
You know, some of us, so many of us are just, our key is, I just want to be heard. I just want to be heard. I just want to, just stop that. Perhaps maybe never you'll be heard. Perhaps you just give your life to the kingdom because the king knows. He has plenty of crowns. He's making it right now in an assembly line. His angels are cranking them out for people that are his. These people had faith. They had incredible faith. They really believed God's word and they lived it out. And they actually believed that God could raise the dead. They believed it. And when he didn't, they buried them knowing that they'll see him again. That was their faith. Number five is that we are called to be dependent on Jesus. Verse 41, I love this. He literally just ripped this right off of Jesus. But Peter sent them all out. Remember that story? He sent them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. She opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand, raised her up and calling to the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Isn't that amazing? He just ripped that right off of Jesus. Mark 5, 40, they began laughing at Jesus, but putting them aside, all, putting them all outside, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was in bed and he raised her from the dead. Peter just said, look, I don't have a clue about how to do this. But I'll look at Jesus and I'll depend on his, on his technique or his, and rely on his power. Peter didn't want the attention. He was completely dependent on God. He knew God could do it. But he constantly modeled dependence. Peter modeled dependence If you want to be used by God, depend on him. And I love that Jesus consistently modeled his, the way he depended on the father. Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, which was a great ministry, crowds, individuals, but he also went away. And this was his other ministry, which should be yours and ours. He went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. We can never forget that. I don't know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but really this is what it's all about. He created us for relationship. We could get all into ministry. We could get all into everything else, even into life group, even into family, even into the, um, the marvel of how God's power and how he moves. But if we forget the quiet place, we have nothing. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Modeled dependence on God while he was on earth. Luke 6, 12 and 13. Now it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer with God. And that when the day came, he called his disciples. First step is before you invest in people, you need to pray. God, who do you have for me? You know, you could foolishly ask the wrong person. I think some of us are in discipleship right now that don't need to even be in that discipleship relationship. They're clearly not hungry. They're just complainers. They're wasting your time. You need to go back to Jonathan Edwards and realize 
I could die tomorrow. Why would I want to be with this complainer? But rather, I, I, I just, I want to be with the hungry. Jesus didn't waste his time with the Pharisees. He moved on. He called them a whitewashed tomb and moved right on. Look at the life of Jesus. You might be like, well, Jesus didn't do it. He did do that. You just don't know your Bible. <laughs> Amen. All right. Uh, and I love this. You know, there's prayer really does matter. We are people of prayer. This is a prayer. This is the year of prayer, meaning that we need to be reminded again. That's all that means. Every year is going to be your prayer. We just need to be reminded again that when you look at that uh, prayer book, you have one, honey, or one of the, just, I, I've, um, I'm reminded, I have this on my nightstand. And I just, this is, I, I need this to be a reminder. Don't neglect prayer. Jesus didn't. And he had all the powers in the world. He could have literally just went, his disciples like, do you pray? He'd be like, no, I don't need to, I'm God. I mean, he could have literally said that. But he didn't. Because he gave, it's Philippians 2, he gave himself up. He became lower than the angels. He was both God and man. He modeled something for all of us. He modeled dependence. And this is what one historian says about Spurgeon. Many years ago, five college students made their way to London to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. Arriving early at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they found the doors still locked. There'd be people just in droves trying to get there in time, get a seat. And while they waited on the steps, a man approached them. Would you like to see the heating apparatus of this church? He asked. That was not exactly what you know, they came for, but they agreed to go with him. He led them through the building, down a long flight of stairs and into the hallway. And at the end of the hallway, he opened the door and into the room, this large room filled with 700 people on their knees praying. And he said that, their guide who was Charles Spurgeon himself, that my friends is the heating apparatus of this church. Prayer. I, I, I can't, I can't uh, just not think of Tachibana, the pastor who he raised up in Japan, who said, I mean, he, he's like, how did this happen? How did the church, how did you guys come? He brought 80 people here to Japan 2019 in the summertime. And he's like, I, I, I don't know how you did it. He's like, well, I'll show you how we did it. Come with me. And we just opened up this room called the prayer room. And there was just sticker, stickies like, uh, all over the, the, the wall of just people. We were, uh, you know, the little 3M sticky notes of just people's names that we got to meet. And it was maybe like two or three when we started. And by the end, the whole wall was full with Japanese names. We're just praying for people. Clearly, this was the engine. I remember getting a correspondence from him on Facebook a few nights ago. He's like, would you show me, a, would you show me the engine of your church? He knew, that was his verbiage. He knew, he's like, now I know what drives the ship. Now I know what grows the church. Now I know what empowers the people. Now I know how people get saved. It's the heating apparatus. What heats this building is certainly not some electrical system. It's the people on their knees. That's what's going to move this church forward. E.M. Bounds says this, the men who have done the most of God for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway seeking him the rest of the day. 
If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be in last place the remainder of the day. Our time with Jesus in the morning is not the only time we spend time with God. It is the catalyst. It is the springboard for an all-day encounter with him. Number six, show no favoritism or partiality. We're going to close here. In verse 43, it says, just a parenthetical note almost, just as Peter kind of vanishes in the background, so to speak. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Now, if you don't know anything about tanners, you have to read a little bit about the background to understand that they were despised in the first century. Why? Because they dealt with skins of dead animals. They were despised. It was an unclean job. It's what you call today a dirty job. They were shunned at the synagogue. They were shunned. Uh, The Jews wanted nothing to do with them. And Peter stayed with this man. He knew God was already beginning to work on his heart as he saw a revival happen with the Samaritans. And he's on the brink of seeing another revival to the Gentiles. God was unifying his church. Acts 10.34, I love this. This is what Peter says. I, we'll look at this next week. But I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Do you want to be used by God? Show no partiality. 1 Corinthians 9 19 to 22, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew and to, I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as who are under the law, those though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I'm not like these people but I'm going to become like them so that I might win them. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. That's my time. (laughs) Thank you. You want to be used by God? Be a moving target. Be available. Be present. Be dependent, point people to Jesus, and don't be partial. Don't be partial. It was Philip Jacob Spiner, 1635 to 1705. I was reading this in church history. I was, my jaw dropped because he was literally describing Antioch, Orlando. And the Antioch model of the five healthy circles. He was fought against the establishment of the church and formalism. He wanted to be a man who really brought about transformation. He was kind of tired of just the monologue sermons, but he called the, he wanted people to, to be a part of groups called apostolic groups, which are just another name for life groups. He also wanted people to be a part of uh, reading scripture. He called fathers to read the Bible to their children. He called uh, ministers to rise up to have a 1 Corinthians 14 uh, 26 to 40 message where, that, that where leaders would rise up, not so much in a prophetic sense, but in a, they would rise up, they would preach messages and they would be evaluated because they would, and, they, and this would happen in a life group setting in what he called the apostolic groups. He was realizing that the Sunday model church wasn't enough, that in order to see people grow, you needed these other elements of church to happen. Everyone needed to be in. 
He was an everybody in in the 1600s. He also said we need Q&A. We need to have Q&A at the end of services, what we call now after hours. And we need to go in depth. And we just did a four-hour Q&A, I think, uh, last week, Sunday in ADS. We just did one, a two-hour Q&A yesterday in, in ADS and Saturday, just talking about breaking down, unpacking the, the truths of Scripture, learning how to live this stuff out, wrestling through things together in a safe place. Serving one another also, and of course, discipleship. And this is what he said about discipleship. It's very interesting. For the sake of Christian growth, it may be useful in those who have earnestly resolved to walk in the way of the Lord when enter into confidential relationship with their confessor or some other judicious and enlightened Christian. Very interesting way of putting it. We don't have that language. And would regularly report to him how they live, what opportunities they have had to practice Christian love and how they have employed or neglected them. This should be done with the intention of discovering what is amiss and securing such an individual's counsel and instruction as to what ought to now to be done. There would be a firm resolution to follow such advice at all times unless something is expected that is quite, uh, quite clearly, excuse me, clearly contrary to God's will. Guys, this is in everybody in church. We are called to not just, this is a wonderful setting to hear the word of God preached. We need this. I need this. This is a wonderful place where people can come in and get to know one another and fellowship and learn how to serve the church in different capacities. Most likely we're gonna be moving soon. Certainly we're not gonna be here very much longer. I think the Lord is moving us out into something more expansive. But we need to have an everybody in mindset. Not for that purpose. We just have an everybody in mindset because that's how, what God's called us to. Not because we need to grow, but when we are that way, we will grow. And we need to disciple one another be involved in life groups. Give each other our, not just our uh, spiritual talents per se and giftings, but also our physical. If you're a car mechanic, serve the church. If you're a photographer, find ways to serve. If you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you are, a teacher. If you're a mom, help other moms. If you're a dad, help other dads. If you work with your hands, help. Be all hands on deck. I mean, we're sitting in the Chick-fil-A, whatever, the the little parking lot spot where you wait and put your little number in. And and we just thought, hey, let's just read the Bible. So we took the Bible out, have a Bible in your car at all times. Take the Bible out. And we just read Luke, who is it? 17, I think it was. Right? And, And then, you know, we read that and and then I think you brought, I think it was one of our kids that just brought up, uh, they liked Exodus 31, I believe. And just saying uh, how the, first, the gifts that were distributed, not just for these gr- crazy spiritual gifts, but it was the gift of craftsmanship. What an amazing gift. I think we're all thankful for people like that. I mean, Tyler Wathen's like that. So many. There, I mean, there's, I mean, Stephen. Alvarez is like that. So many people are like that in our church. 
that just use their gifts for the church and for their families, blessing their families. And we said, hey, that's a wonderful gift. Everybody in this church has a gift to use. And what I'm asking right now is that you would live this out. I mean, in an evangelistic way, be a moving target, be available, be present, all that dependent on the Lord. But be willing. If I could just say a seventh, be willing to get in the game and just allow the Lord to use you. He wants to use you. And so I'm gonna pray for you this morning that we would be a church that's all in. And just watch, just marvel, watch. I mean, watch three, four years, 10 years from now. Just look back and say, what got us here? As you look around, as you look at the growth, as you look at the transformation of the city, as you look at the transformation of the nations, as you look at the transformation, the stories of what's going on on campus, you're like, how did we get here? We got here because of this. Because we are a moving target church. We just move. We just go. We're willing. We're giving it, we give it all. Financially, spiritually, physically, we're just, we're in. Father, I, I pray that we would be a people we would be a people that are in. You know, I'm thankful, God, that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is all in. He didn't hold anything back. You didn't hold anything back by giving him to us as a gift. He didn't hold anything back by giving himself as a sacrifice. The Holy Spirit didn't give anything back by giving himself fully to reside in our being. There was nothing held back. Your love is not held back towards any person in this room. Your mercy is not held back. Your grace is not held back. Your power is not held back. We need you. Help us to be people that are totally dependent on you, willing and able, faithful, moving targets, sales, just even in the spirit, just in your mind, just Blow up the sail. Allow the, hoist your sail. Allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to move you wherever he wants to move you. For Tampa, to the right places, the right streets, in your neighborhood, on campus, at the workplace, God, give us boldness and courage all over again. God, would you bless, protect this week for those who are sick, pray for their healing. God, I pray that all, and if not more, will come to Tampa this week and that you protect us and you heal us. You embolden us. You empower us to see one of our best mission trips and times together that we've ever had. Get our eyes off ourselves as our eyes get more and more fixed on the nations and praying for them because they need prayer. As we get fixed on our eyes on you and serving the church, the people of God. I pray that this would truly be the best mission trip we've ever had because you can do that. And we're gonna go from glory to glory as a church in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, why don't we stand to our feet and worship worship the Lord for this last song. If you need prayer, of course, please don't hesitate to ask for it.